The Tale of Two Cities. This is number four of seven, entitled An Overwhelming Surprise. First, let us pray. Our loving Father, in the name of thy dear Son, Jesus, I beseech thee to hear this urgent request for the message you have laid upon me to preach at this time is so alarming to the professed believers and so tragic to the unprepared that I cannot give this warning without your divine help. So I beg of thee, send thy mighty Holy Spirit to arouse each of us to spiritual action before it is forever too late. Thank thee, dear Father, for answering this heartfelt cry for help. Amen. Our text is found in Matthew 24, verse 44. Therefore, be also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. In this study, we shall discover that being ready for the coming of Christ involves being ready for another surprising event which precedes the coming of our Lord. You know, great disasters usually begin with the element of surprise. Can you imagine how startled the inhabitants of Sodom were on that cloudless morning to suddenly discover fire and brimstone raining down upon them? And you know, earthquakes have a way of striking with the element of surprise. How well do I remember as a young man when I lived in Southern California when the Long Beach earthquake struck, leaving a city in destruction with hundreds dead. And many of you will remember the recent earthquake in Kobe, Japan, which struck without warning and completely demoralized its inhabitants for they had trusted in their highly educated engineers, feeling that they had developed buildings and overhead highways to withstand all earthquakes. The words of our text from the very lips of Christ, be ye also ready, should indelibly be impressed on our minds that Satan's final attack upon God's people will come suddenly, without a moment's notice, when Babylon will strike, she will pronounce, she will pounce upon Jerusalem with the swiftness of an eagle and with the strength of a lion. In the book Prophets and Kings 626 are these words. Christians should be preparing for what is soon to break upon the world 
as an overwhelming surprise. And this preparation they should make by diligently studying the Word of God and striving to conform their lives to its precepts. But what a picture of God's church today that has been painted by Ellen White in the Review and Herald of August 28, 1883. I read, quote, This is a day of peril, a day of cloud and thick darkness. Men are blinded, infatuated by the God of this world. They close their eyes to the fearful events that are casting their shadows about before them. Intoxicated with self-indulgence and luxury, they know not that the tempest is about to burst upon them." Unquote. Babylon's last and most furious war will be hurled upon Jerusalem when its members least expect it. And it may come when listening to a TV newscast or by reading the headline of a newspaper. In amazement, I can just hear many, many voices explain, we knew it was coming, but we never dreamed it would come so soon. But mind you, it will come, the last test, the final test, the mark of the beast in a national Sunday law. Let me pause here for a moment to consider just how near we are to a Sunday law. For the past five years, we have been told by politicians and financiers, in books and magazines, in fact, almost in everyday TV and radio broadcasts, that this country is on the verge of bankruptcy, that something must happen soon or we face national ruin. As I stated in number two of this series from the McIlvaney Report of September 1995, these words, we are headed for a crash the like America has never seen, unquote. But astoundingly, no one in our church is telling us the words of Ellen, Ellen White, God's last prophet, to his remnant, which stated that she was shown by God that the Sunday law will precede national ruin. Let me read this from Bible Commentary 7, page 977. When our nation in its legislative councils shall enact, enact laws to bind the consciousness of men in regard to their religious privileges, enforcing Sunday observance, and bringing oppressive power to bear against those who keep the seventh-day Sabbath, the law of God will, to all intents and purposes, be made void in our land, and national apostasy 
will be followed by national ruin, unquote. And so you see, the Sunday law comes first. There's another quotation I'd like to refer to, a review in Herald, June 15, 1997. Protestants, and this sounds almost unbelievable, but it says, Protestants will work upon the rulers of the land to make laws to restore the lost ascendancy of the man of sin who sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Roman Catholic principles will be taken under the care and the protection of the state. This national apostasy will speedily be followed by national ruin. Again, you see, the Sunday law comes before the national ruin how quickly this could come upon us. I'm not surprised when I saw how the Protestants followed the Pope in his visit to America this October, believing everything he said and praising him to the high heavens. We can see how quickly this can come about. We will not be surprised, however, by its coming, for we have been warned of this for years. What will be so surprising will be the reality of its severity. In the United States, the image of the beast will be fully formed, and the Sunday Sabbath will be enforced by law. All members of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, both the wheat and the tares, who have been worshiping together under the protection of law, will unexpectedly be faced with the issue, obey the law of God, or be subject to fine imprisonment, shall I read it, or even death. The churches of the world are now consolidating under the ecumenical movement for the ultimate goal to get rid of all worship of the true God. These Babylonians will determine to get rid of the city of Jerusalem, having obtained all the necessary power of the state to succeed in their ambition. And when this happens, Millions of Seventh-day Adventists within the church will leave. Let me read this, volume 5, 136. To stand in defense of truth and righteousness when the majority forsake us. That tells you something, doesn't it? to fight for the battle of the Lord when champions are few. This will be our test. Of these, praise God, there will be a small remnant, as we read in Selected Messages 2, page 368, quote, Will God's commandment keeping people swerve from their allegiance? Never. 
Not one who is abiding in Christ will fail or fall. His followers will bow in obedience to a higher authority than that of any earthly potentate." Unquote. The millions who desert Jerusalem will become our bitterest enemies. In Great Controversy 608 we read, as the storm approaches, <clears throat> a large class who have professed faith in the third angel's message, but have not been sanctified through obedience to the truth, abandon their position and join the ranks of opposition by uniting with the world and participating of its spirit, they have come to view matters in nearly the same light. And when the test is brought, they are prepared to choose the easy, popular side. Men of talent and pleasing address, who once rejoiced in the truth, employ their powers to deceive and mislead souls. They become the most bitter enemies of their former brethren. When Sabbath keepers are brought before the courts to answer for their faith, these apostates are the most efficient agents of Satan. To misrepresent and accuse them, and by false reports and insinuations, to stir up the rulers against them." Unquote. What a tragedy. Could anything somehow be so disheartening? I read in Selected Messages 2, 380, the sinners of Zion will be sifted out, the chaff separated from the precious wheat. This is a terrible ordeal. But nevertheless, it must take place. Then, in volume one of the Testimonies, 431, God's people must be sifted, even as corn is sifted in a sieve, until all the chaff is removed. In Review and Herald, November 8, 1892, speaking of Babylon, I quote, an apostate church will unite with the power of earth and hell to place upon the forehead or in the hand the mark of the beast and prevail upon the children of God to worship the beast and his image. They will seek to compel them to renounce their allegiance to God's law and yield homage to the papacy, then, notice that word, then will come the times which shall try men's souls, for the confederacy of apostasy will demand that the loyal subjects of God shall renounce the law of Jehovah and repudiate the truth of his word. Then will the gold be separated from the dross, and it will be made apparent 
that those who are godly, who are loyal and true, and who are the disloyal, the dross and the tinsel, what clouds of chaff will then be borne away by the fan of God. Did you notice that then, when this happens, the Sunday law, then will come a mighty shaking. But let us not forget that while multitudes are being blown away by the winds of persecution, we read in Selected Messages 2, 380, the church may appear as about to fall, but it does not fall. Praise God. She says, it remains while the sinners in Zion will be sifted out, the chaff separated from the precious wheat. This is in keeping with God's word of Psalms 35, verses 5 and 6. Let them be as chaff before the wind, and let the angel of the Lord chase them. Let their way be dark and slippery, let the angel of the Lord persecute them. You see, both groups within the church, the wheat and the tares, will be taken by surprise. But that little company will have their armor on and will be able to stand in the day of battle, while the unprepared will be overwhelmed, surprised in their unfaithfulness, they will be taken captive by the enemy. In Christ Object Lessons 373 are these words. It is a crisis that character is revealed. Both parties were taken unawares, but one was prepared for the emergency, and the other was found without preparation. So now, a sudden and unlooked-for calamity, something that brings the soul face to face with death, will show whether there is any real faith in the promises of God. It will show whether the soul is sustained by grace." Unquote. You see, friend, only the obedient will remain in Jerusalem. From the spirit of prophecy, we learn that the shaking has to do with the past, present, and future. This may be new to some of you. Of the past and the present, let me read these short quotations, volume one of the testimonies. 429, I saw that we are now in the shaking time. Early writings, page 50. The mighty shaking has commenced. Volume 4 of the Testimonies, 51. God is now sifting his people, testing their purposes and their motives. Many will be as chaff, no wheat no value in them. Volume 6 of the Testimonies 332. We are in the shaking time, the time when 
everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And I believe that there is no Seventh-day Adventist who is in tune with God today that is not aware of what is happening in the church as I speak. However, the shaking is also spoken of as a future event. Volume 9, page 15 of the Testimonies. Soon the battle will be waged fiercely between those who serve God and those who serve Him not. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Volume 5, page 80. In the mighty sifting soon to take place, we shall be better able to measure the strength of Israel. The signs revealed that the time is near when the Lord will manifest that his fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly purge his floor, unquote. And we are told exactly when this will take place. Testimony 581. The time is not far distant when the test will come to every soul. The mark of the beast will be urged upon us. The contest is between the commandments of God and the commandments of men. In this time, the gold will be separated from the dross in the church. So you can see when it's going to happen. Selected Messages 368. When the law of God is made void, the church will be sifted by fiery trials. And a larger proportion that we now anticipate will give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. This will bring about, we shall see, a complete physical separation within our church. For men shall arise from among us who are determined in their opposition to the straight testimony of the Laodiceans. Even now, today, we see many of our leaders already preaching and writing books of a new order and promoting a new theology. There is a concerted drive in many churches to discipline Sabbath school teachers who use the spirit of prophecy to teach and feed the saints of God. And seldom do you hear this godly counsel mentioned from the pulpits of our churches today. A few days, years ago, I was a member of a church, a large church in Southern California. I was an elder. I'll never forget the pastor stating clearly that no one was to use the spirit of prophecy in his pulpit. And so Babylon is about ready to strike. But God is holding her until all who remain in Jerusalem have made personal preparation to stand in the battle. 
If God did not thus overrule, Babylon would now pounce upon her prey while the church is asleep and wipe her from the face of the earth. But thank God, God is holding back the winds of strife, waiting for a remnant who will be prepared to stand before the enemy. In that beautiful book, That I May Know Him, page 350, are these words. The day is coming, and it is close upon us, when every phase of character will be revealed by special temptation. Those who remain true to principle, who exercise faith to the end, will be those who have proven true under test and trial during the previous hours of their probation and have formed characters after the likeness of Christ. Yes, soon, very soon, the time will arrive for the tares and the wheat to be completely separated within our church. God will release the wicked power of Babylon to execute this violent shaking, a shaking that will literally shake the tares right out of Jerusalem and into the city of Babylon. And when this happens, never again will the tares and the wheat mingle together in church capacity. Today, men and women are making daily decisions that are preparing them to remain firm or to be sifted out. We make the choice now. Thus, we can feel the urgency of the call. If the Lord be God, serve him. If Baal, serve him. Which side will you be on? Oh, friend, these are exciting times. While Satan and his angels stand by to place the mark of the beast on his subjects, the mark of death to denote those who are his, a mark never to be erased because it has been placed on those worldly ones within the church who are shaken out of God's church. But praise God, at the same time, the angel from God is seen ascending from the east, bearing a writer's inkhorn and having the seal of God to place it upon the foreheads of the righteous to indicate that they belong to God. This seal is also a mark, or shall we say a guarantee of perfection and eternal life. While it is not visible to men, it is a seal known to God. In Bible Commentary 7, page 968, the Israelites placed over their doors a signature of blood to show that they were God's property. So, 
The children of God in this last age will bear the signature God has appointed. They will place themselves in harmony with God's holy law. A mark is placed upon every one of God's people, just as verily as a mark was placed over the doors of the Hebrew dwellers to preserve the people from general ruin. The prophet Ezekiel speaks to us in the 8th chapter, verses 2 to 4. One of the men among them was clothed with a linen, with a writer's inkhorn by his side, and they went in and stood before the brazen altar. And the glory of God of Israel was gone up from the cherubs, whereupon he was, to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed with linen, which had the writer's inkhorn by his side. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the forehead of the men that sigh and cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. It identifies those who receive this seal as members of a little company who are prepared to stand for battle. In volume three of the testimonies 267 are these challenging words. Mark this with care. Those who receive the pure mark of truth wrought in them by the power of the Holy Ghost are those that sigh and cry for all the abominations that be done in the church. What do I mean by sighing and crying for abominations? I just received this week a paper printed for the Loma Linda University Church called the Seventh Wave Coffee House. In it, they are advertising their winter session. And it almost is amazing here in a time when the church should be get ready, getting ready for the Lord we find such things as this. Musicians play for audience tips. Enjoy our iced, hot, gourmet coffee. Gourmet coffee. And then we read here a local jazz group from our community's very own Redlands University. On the piano, on brass, and on drums. Don't miss this. These are the things that to the true Adventist today causes one to cry and sigh for such abominations. But thank God those who are crying and sighing will not be shaken out. They remain in Jerusalem after the shaking. They are those who have been painfully aware of the sinfulness of sin and of the prevalent apostasy found within the church today. 
These are the chosen ones upon whom God directs the angel with the writer's inkhorn to set his seal. This will all happen before probation closes. Selected messages 166. The living righteous will receive the seal of God prior to the close of probation. Again, in Bible Commentary 7976, the Lord has shown me clearly that the image of the beast will be formed before probation closes. For it is to be the great test for the people of God by which their eternal destiny will be decided. This is the test that the people of God must have before they are sealed. All who prove their loyalty to God by observing his law, refusing to accept a spurious Sabbath, will rank under the banner of the Lord God Jehovah and will receive the seal of the living God. But those who yield the truth of heavenly origin and accept the Sunday Sabbath will receive the mark of the beast. Now this brings me to something that I never understood before, but now I can see it clearly. While we know that the fullness of the sealing is to be a future event, there is a sealing now taking place. I read in Evangelism 43, Satan is now using every device in this sealing time to keep the minds of God's people from present truth. What many somehow have never understood is that at conversion, when the principles of the law of God are written in the heart and our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, we are sealed in the power of the Holy Spirit in the former reign. Just as scripture states, Ephesians 1.13, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now this sealing, however, is conditional upon our daily growth in Christ. This is clearly revealed by the following statement in volume 6 of the testimony 2.13. By a life of holy endeavor and firm adherence to the right, the children of God were sealed their destiny. Through a daily growth under the former reign, the saints will finally experience, as I read in Bible Commentary 4, 1161, a settling into the truth both intellectually and spiritually so they cannot be moved just as soon as God's people are sealed and prepared for the shaking it will come this of course is speaking of the last violent shaking in other words 
when the saints are, <clears throat> are fully spiritually developed, then the final sealing will take place. They cannot be moved for their position of truth and obedience. This final sealing will denote that final victory has been won over the test brought by the beast and its image. But let there be a clear understanding. To receive the final seal, one must first have the seal of God impressed so deeply into the forehead that absolutely nothing can persuade that person to disobey God. Unless the seal of God is impressed upon the forehead by the power of the former reign, the power of the latter reign cannot make the impression permanent. Volume 5, page 216 tells us, What are you doing, brethren? in the great work of preparation. Those who are uniting with the world are receiving the worldly mold and preparing for the mark of the beast. Those who are distrustful of self, who are humbling themselves before God and purifying their souls by obeying the truth, these are receiving the heavenly mold and preparing for the seal of God in their forehead. When the decree goes forth and the stamp is impressed, their character will remain pure and spotless for eternity. Notice that the seal does not change the character. It only guarantees that the saint remains or retains the purity of character received in the former reign. Thus, this gift or sealing opens up to the saints the very gates of heaven. Of this we read in Bible Commentary 7, 970. Those who receive the seal of the living God will have the passport through the gates of the holy city. Isn't that encouraging? The qualifications for receiving the seal of God are plainly given. It will be placed only upon the obedient and the Christ-like. You find that in such books as The Faith I Live By, page 288. Every individual soul, if he would receive the seal of the living God, must hear the word of the Lord and do it with exactitude, unquote. Then in Bible Commentary 7970, the seal of the living God will be placed upon those only who bear a likeness to Christ in character. In the same book, page 970, as wax takes the impression of the seal, so the soul is to take the impression of the Spirit of God and retain the image of Christ, unquote. All sinners will be bypassed 
by the angel with the seal of the living God. So isn't it alarming that in this very end time, the devil is succeeding in placing ministers within some of our pulpits who are preaching that somehow God will save us in our sins? What a contradiction to God's prophet. In Bible Commentary 4, 1161, the angel with the writer's inkhorn is to place a mark upon the foreheads of all who are separated from sin. Unquote. Nothing, nothing could be more clearly emphasized by God's prophet than in testimonies to ministers 445. Those that overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil will be the favored ones who shall receive the seal of the living God. Those whose hands are not clean, whose hearts are not pure, will not have the seal of the living God. Those who are planning sin and acting it will be passed by. Only those who, in their attitude before God, are filled are filling the position of those who are repenting and confessing their sin in the great antitypical day of atonement will be recognized and marked as worthy of God's protection. The names of those who are steadfastly looking and waiting and watching for the appearing of their Savior more earnestly and wistfully then they who wait for the morning will be numbered with those who are sealed, unquote. And let me tell you, God is particular upon whom he places his seal. I hesitate to read this, but as God's servant I must, volume 5, page 214. Not one of us will ever receive the seal of God while our characters <clears throat> have one spot or stain upon them. It is left with us to remedy the defects in our character, to cleanse the soul temple of every defilement. Then the latter rain will fall upon us as the early rain fell upon the disciples on the day of Pentecost. In the same book, page 216, now is the time to prepare. The seal of God will never be placed upon the forehead of an impure man or woman. It will never be placed upon the forehead of the ambitious, world-loving man or woman. It will never be placed upon the forehead of men or women of false tongues. All who receive the seal must be without spot before God, candidates for heaven. And how could it be otherwise? God cannot afford to take anyone to heaven who would sin again. And all the inhabitants of the universe would not have it to be any other way. They do not want to happen 
in heaven or in the universe what they have seen for 6,000 years in this world. Thus, the sealing must effect a physical separation of the righteous from the wicked. This is known as the judgment of the living, for God says the judgment is a time of separating the wheat from the tares. Testimonies to Ministers 234. The time of judgment is a most solemn period when the Lord gathers his own from among the tares. Those who have been members of the same family are separated. A mark is placed upon the righteous. Permit me then to recap the facts that have been presented in this sermon. From the wealth of quotations taken from inspiration and given to us to help us to get ready. Bible Commentary 7969. The Lord would teach men the lesson that though united in church capacity, he is not saved until the seal of God is placed upon him. So, consider once more the wheat, which represents the godly who are daily prepared by the early rain, followed by the latter rain, which develops a sanctification process in which the spiritual experience comes to a full fitness for heaven. They have overcome every sin and are ready for the final seal of God's approval. But the tares, they represent the wicked. Wicked because they have rebelled against God's requirements. Day by day, <clears throat> Satan molds them deeper and deeper in sin until they are ready for Satan's sign of possession, the mark of the beast, ever to retain their evil propensities. To such the gates of heaven will forever be closed. Bible Commentary 7, page 969. No one will enter the courts above who does not bear the sign of God, unquote. Are we striving with all our power to attain the statue of men and women in Christ? Are we seeking for his fullness, ever pressing toward the mark set before us, the perfection of his character, when the Lord's people reach this mark, they will be complete in Christ, and the recording angel will declare, it is finished. So friend, surprisingly soon, the angel with the writer's inkhorn will be commissioned to do his work. I ask you, 
Will we be ready to have him place God's seal upon us? Who can endure the thought of being passed by when the angel places the seal of God in the forehead? Be sure to listen to the next tape, number five in this series, entitled The Church Triumphant. Let us pray. O oh God, help us today as never before to be watered by the early rain so that we can daily grow, that in the coming latter rain we shall produce the fruits of perfection and thus be ready for the coming of Jesus. Amen. Listen. It's about time. It's about time for the coming of Christ the King. It's about time, O oh Christian, about time. It's about time for the saints to rejoice and sing. Soon the Lord will appear. It's about time. Then lift up your head. Your redemption is nigh. And glad hallelujahs will soon pierce the sky. Oh, glory to God. Soon It's about time.